Well, good morning. Welcome to Eastlake. My name is Brent, and I'm teaching pastor here, and my wife is joining me today, everybody. This is Kylie. Uh, she is uh, joining me for part seven of this thing. We've been in a series called On the Road, a series on restlessness, and uh, the idea of restlessness. Oh, are you not on here? Let me help you out. There you go. Green light. Oh, Green thanks. means go. Um, we are uh, uh, following along with the teachings or the writings of a guy named Augustine who wrote back in the fourth century a book called uh, Confessions, one of the most, his most popular writings, although he wrote many. Um, it would be one of the two most influential documents to shape Western Christianity, being number one being obviously New Testament scriptures, but then Augustine's Confessions really number two. And so following along with kind of his uh, writings, looking over his shoulder as he writes out his confessions to God and his, uh, his pathway towards dead ends in life. Listen, I've chased after all of these things. I've done this and I've done this and I've done this and it just hasn't worked out. And, and uh, really capitalizing on the desires of the heart, the broken roads, uh, the underdelivering of all the things that overpromise and underdeliver in life. And perhaps what you really are looking for when you're looking for that is something different. And maybe that thing is found in, in God himself. And his, his, big, his big summary statement would be, our hearts are restless. You created us for you, God, and our hearts are restless until we find uh, our rest in you. And whether you believe him or not, or you're not religious or whatever, uh, we, we've just been walking through, what do you think, what, what is it that you really want when you want freedom, when you want liberty from this? What, do, what is it that you want when you want whatever? Fill in the blank. Uh, and today it's this idea of autonomy and differentiation and kind of out on our own and doing our own thing. And uh, I, uh, I brought my wife uh, with me today to finish this series off because we, we haven't done too many of these things together, and it's right. part seven, so I just figure you're probably tired of hearing just <laughs> from me. It's a long series. Yeah, it's a long yeah. series, so if she has some additional insights, and she does, um, then uh, you get a chance to kind of peek in uh, along the way here. Um, we, cra- we crave differentiation um, from a lot of different things in life. We crave autonomy. We want to go out and do our own thing, whether it's uh, we don't want anybody telling us what to do. We become our own boss um, because we don't like being told uh, how to do things. We, we start our own companies. We, um, we get married. We get in and out of relationships because it's too controlling. And, 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 and all of a sudden, like I, I, I wasn't really myself in that one. I wanted to kind of move and be different in that way. We crave, dif- crave differentiation from our parents at some point. We've done things, uh, whether high school, college, or even beyond, to be like, I'm kind of my own, and around the holidays specifically when it comes to family traditions and all of that, like we, we do this differentiation thing. And oftentimes we're known based, uh, or I grew up in, in, in a scenario, my dad's been the pastor at a church in Pasco for 23, 24 years. And so there's a lot of people in this community who know him. And when they meet me, they say, oh, you're Daryl's son. And I'm like, nice to meet you. My name's Brent, but you can call me Daryl's son. That's fine. I'll go by, I'll respond to either, either one of those things. And even in marriage, there's differentiating factors with right. this too. Was, we were talking about this this week, and it was really funny because he's like going through that whole um, example. And then he goes, and like for you, you probably get really sick of people referring to you as Brent's wife all the time. And I think I burst his bubble and I was like, it doesn't really happen all that often. It never often, happens. Actually. <laughs> You're Kylie's husband. Oh yeah, that works. Um, but I do fall into this category a lot of times, both growing up in the Tri-Cities, where my parents still live, or even my grandparents, you know, I've been Jerry's daughter, Jennifer's daughter, um, which is great. The relationship is incredible there, and still there's this, like, yes, I'm, I'm somebody else outside of that. A lot of times right now I get 
Grayson's mom, can I please have a snack? Or I'll go to the kids at school and it's like, this is London's mom. Da, 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 da. And, I, and I own that. I'm like, yes, I am. I'm also Kylie. <laughs> and um, I feel like I have to list off these things. Like I graduated top of my class at such and such. And I can bake all of these things really well. And I'm really, really, really a master user of puns. And all of this stuff that I feel like I need to like create this sense of who I am outside of that, and that's without even having these strained relationships that what we'll go into Augustine had. That was, sorry, a really weird way of saying his name. His name's Augustine. It's all <laughs> good. Yeah, out. but, uh, and, and this isn't unique to us, and it's not unique to modern times. This has been going on for a really long time. People, even Jesus had this scenario. Oh, yeah, even Jesus had to go in through scripture. this. Yeah, and we have this listed, um, I'm going to read it from the screens because Brent said it's, it's more like we're doing this together when I read it from the screen. So in Mark 3, 31 through, I'm going to do it up here. Okay. Um, then Jesus' mother and brothers arrive. So this is before Jesus has performed any miracles, obviously before he's like died and risen from the dead. So Jesus is still, he's been raised by a mother who's like changed all the diapers, done all the things. He has siblings who like, he's like this normal kid, right? Nothing at this point has been like, this is, the Savior of the world, Jesus Christ. So during this time, he's sitting around with a group of people, and Jesus' mother and brothers arrive. They're standing outside. looking. They're looking for him. They sent somebody in, and a crowd was sitting around Jesus, and they told him, your mother and brothers are outside looking for you. And Jesus looks at the crowd sitting around him, and he goes, who are my mother and bro- my brothers? Then he looked at those seated in a circle around him, and he said, here are my mother and here are my brothers. And I read this and I imagine Mary like looking through the window and just kind of freaking out. Like, are you kidding me? Who's your mother? Who did you just say is your mother? I'll tell you who mother is. The one who birthed you is your mother. Yes. And um, yeah, there's just like this, this awkwardness that comes in any scenario when you're trying to, when you're emerging from especially family, these awkward, um, yeah, and Jesus that. is doing this because it's the beginning of his ministry. He's trying to now make a name for himself. He doesn't want to be known as Mary's son or whatever. Um, he's he's making these statements, and it's like this like tension that's felt, and we feel it too. And we've probably maybe perhaps your most difficult differentiating thing in life, and the boundaries that you pushed was differentiating from from family, like you becoming your own thing. And here's going to be our traditions as opposed to you know what we always go and did with you know the family growing up, and we we change that, and now we do our own thing in this way or whatever. And what's harder than families is specifically moms, like the differentiating from moms uh, in particular. And what's even harder than moms is moms around the holidays to be able to be like, <laughs> this is what we're doing. And, and uh, it like raised its ugly head this week because my mom, my parents announced that they are going to go over and visit uh, family on the west side the day after Christmas. So she called us up asking about what our plans were for this next week, right? And so called uh, us together, or you, I can't remember exactly, but, um, and she goes, hey, since we leave on Thursday, the 26th, if you guys could block off Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday for our family stuff, that would be great, and Kylie's going, the 23rd, Christmas Eve, and Christmas Day, you want us to block all of that off for your family? She goes, she looks at me, she goes, does your mom think you married an orphan? Like, what happened here? Like... We have no other people that love us and want to spend time with us. And if, you, if you're listening to this, mom, or watching this She's online, great. we She's love sweet. you. It's just that it's unrealistic. You know what I mean? So it's fine, but whatever. We, we hate this idea 
And even, even when she brings it up, it's like this awkward, you don't want to like come out and be like, mom, we can't do that, right? You want to like dance around a little bit and let her figure it out for herself because you don't, you, the, what's the worst thing is disappointing people, especially like your mom, because then they look at you and, and you say these things. And you're like, well, you know, we can't do all the things that you want to do. And she goes, after all I've done for you, right? <laughs> and she doesn't say those words, but it's like the look that they give you. And you're like, and she has like a really strong case. Like you have done... A lot, but there, but even even so, there has to be some distance between this. Right, so. and then it's awkward on the other side as the child who's trying to be independent. Uh, we we think it's cute in little kiddos when they say, "I did this all by myself," and really, you've like set up every little thing. I gave the example in first service of Clive trying to put on his own shoes. Our two-year-old, it's the first thing he wants to do in the morning, and it literally takes us like on Velcroing all of the things, untying the laces, like taking the tongue out, opening it up wide and setting it down. And then he like does that. And then he <laughs> celebrates doing it all by himself, right? And um, that's kind of cute when they're two. It's not as cute when it's a full-blown adult um, <laughs> owning everything. Like the, you've set them up for success in all of these ways um, as a mom or as a somebody in their life that's really helping them step into independence. And um, there's an example of how awkward this can be in adulthood that we found this week that we just had to share with you. It's really funny. It's this documentary called Well-Groomed. And um, And it just came out. It just, just came out. It's about hair dye and poodles and dog shows. And if that doesn't sound interesting to you, I don't know who you are. Like what kind of a, it's it's absolutely. It is such a gem. Like Midwest people. So, um, so it's this do- <laughs> documentary um, about, see, see she did there? <laughs> about guys, these. She's the queen of puns. Can I can I stop for one second? Can we talk about this for a second? This okay. Okay. <laughs> queen of puns. Like so, just to very very clearly differentiate our humor, because the joke was made in the video that she writes all the good stuff in my message, which is for the most part true. But you, there is a clear, distinct differentiating between our humor and whatever. Um, so, queen of puns. This week we found out, well, I knew about it a little he while ago. He knew about it. I, I didn't know about it I forgot it to forward her the email. We have a Christmas party this afternoon, and she's respo- we are responsible, she's responsible, <laughs> for um, a charcuterie plate. And right. It's supposed to be a themed charcuterie board. There's going to be, like, this judging process that happens. Yeah. Um, so, oh, by the way, this is board. due at 4 yeah. o'clock today, right? Yes. And, uh, you know, who wants to go to Walmart the day, before, you know, two days before Christmas starts, right? Nobody does. So she thinks, well, we'll just pull stuff from the house and <laughs> so we'll come like up with a theme. So we're, like, frantically looking in our cupboards and our, um, yeah, trying to come up with, like, things that we have that I can, like, turn into some sort of theme. And so I thought it was hilarious. Since it's cheese and meat and all that kind of stuff. Right. I um, came up with... Christmas carols. Christmas carols on cheese. a plate. Goat, ch- tell it on the mountain cheese. Yep. Brie, um, <laughs> wish you a Merry Christmas. Yep. And Her favorite. You cheddar not pout. You cheddar not cry. <laughs> See? So some of you are like, that's really, really funny, right? Though that's the difference between. So right. it's very, very clear. Right. And he found half a log of tiramisu and tried coming up with his own. Yeah. He sang in first. Tiramisu, you a Merry Christmas. It doesn't work yeah, quite well, the same at all. I was trying. But um, thank you for bringing that up again. We brought it up without even thinking about it in first service, and my jokes got a lot more laughter, and it I did. think it's evident in this service yeah, as well. True. Um, so thank you again for Anytime. kind of, yeah. Back to well groomed. Well groomed. Okay, so we're watching this documentary. Um, 
believe it or not, at the beginning, you really are. You're just dying, making fun of it. Like, these poor dogs, how do people get wrapped up, like, in this? But then by the end, you're like, the dog loves it, and the people love it, and this is art, and this is who I'm going for, and this documentary is so well done. You're more passionate about it than I was, but yeah, okay. He really liked it, too. I did, but not. <laughs> so at the end, though, this, like, it builds up to the final show in Hershey, and this gal, like, she... Her theme is um, Alice in Wonderland, and she ends up winning. She takes the whole thing. She gets this big trophy. She's crying. Her husband's crying, and then she goes up to, like, accept her award. She goes, I'm just so proud of myself because I did it all by myself. And it pans out to her family who's standing beside her, and she, they're, like, dressed up like twiddle-dee and twiddle-dum, and they've, like, poured every, they spent thousands and thousands of dollars to get her to where she is. And you just kind of roll your eyes, and you're like, oh, that is definitely not as cute, not as a two-year-old, right? And so there's that awkward, like, push and pull of, like, yes, there's an appropriate time, but you can't own it all. And um, it just, it, it, they're, yeah, it's got to be incredibly hard for moms right. to look at moms in general to look at people in life who go, "I did this all by myself," and they're like, "You didn't wipe your own butt, you didn't feed yourself, you didn't do this kind of stuff." Like, I did all these things for you, and yet as a mom, you just sit there and you're like, "I just, I'm gonna choose to be proud for you in your autonomy, right?" Like, I'm, I, I know healthy moms. Um, like they figure out where to kind of leave these things off and it can't last forever. In fact, when you look at ancient kind of civilizations and how they would treat like the breaking of, uh, of the bond between mom and child, um, uh, there's stories about how in, in like the, these ancient tribes, they would take the boy in the middle of the night and, and t- take him into a, a cave. And basically it was a rite of initiation. We're going to separate you from mom. You're going to be crying out for mom and help. And she's not going to be there to help you. And we're going to teach you all of this stuff about becoming a man. And here's all these, these pictures on caves about our, our, our mytho- uh, mythology of our, of our existence and all this kind of stuff. And as they emerge from the cave, all of a sudden their relationship with mom has now been different. Like, like I thank you. I want to honor you for this, but I'm also now kind of my own. And we, we don't, do that, thankfully enough, that would be kidnapping. But we do things like <laughs> we go on, you know, walkabouts, or we go and we we graduate high school, and then we're gonna go explore, and we're gonna go travel, and we're gonna go do our own thing for a while to be able to be like I'm my own individual person. I, I want to honor that, but I also want that. I crave that autonomy piece of this, and this shows up in Augustine's writing in his Confessions as he's kind of um, uh, making a name for himself. He is, be, his role is he wants to be the vocation of some sort of a teacher, um, an orator, a, a public speaker. And he's realizing, uh, I'm limited by location because I'm in North Africa, and that's going to be hard because there's not like the culture that Rome or Milan offers. But then also, people here know me as Monica's son. I'm, as long as I'm connected to my mom right? There's always going to be some limiting factor because he didn't view his mom. She wasn't the most well-taught, the most well-this. She didn't have all the, she's just like, it's just a mom. And, and, and so he's, he's talking through, I had to get as far away as I could geographically, but also just in a sense of, of myself. I had to separate myself from my mom. If I think I want to get to where I want to be, she's holding that back, or this is kind of holding me back. He eventually uh, lies to his mom, and um, she, she can k- kind of tell he's leaving. She's like doing that whole, you're not going to leave me, are you? No, no, I'm, of course I'm not going to leave you. In the middle of the night, he leaves her on a boat and, and goes across the sea into, into Rome. Uh, and then, uh, then this whole thing begins to transpire, this whole drama between her chasing him and, and him kind of trying to, you know, not lose the connection with mom, but also 
trying to be his own thing. So Right. And so he, he leaves, and it's a couple of years um, that she is chasing after him, trying to find him. And eventually she does. And you guys, this is not... He says... Um, Augustine writes, by land and by sea, she finds me. And this isn't as simple as like, we're talking 400 AD. There was no find my iPhone, like look for the moving dot on the globe that we can all like, oh, our kids is at the Wendy's on 68 or whatever. Like this was, she was desperately from person to person asking, have you seen my son? Having faith that she's moving in the right direction toward him. She finds him. And I imagine it being... A sweet home Alabama moment. If you've seen that movie where she's very embarrassed, the um, Reese Witherspoon in the movie is like built up this life in New York, and they want to learn about her background, and she's like doing everything that she can to keep them to shield them from the embarrassment that is her real life, and that's where Augustine finds himself. Is his mom comes marching onto the scene with her lack of education, her low. Uh, lower class, she um, comes into his world with I, what I imagine like kind of frizzy hair and her tambourine and her big earrings <laughs> and like just kind of shaking things up where he's like, I would rather have my past be a mystery. I'd rather have my roots be um, unknown, be from nowhere versus having people see where I've really come from. And she shows up at the church that he finds himself going to, right? And, he, and, and I mentioned this earlier on in the series. He, he finally meets somebody who makes Christianity plausible to him. It's the Bishop uh, of Milan. His name was Ambrose, uh, one of the early church history fathers. And he's like, he, he initially went to the church because he respected the way that he taught, like he just his manner of teaching. That was kind of in the same profession. And so he goes, you're really good at this. I don't believe the content that you're talking about, but I want to be around you as you teach so that I can learn and be better in my craft. Uh, and, and eventually this mom shows up and finds that her son's going to church. She's like, oh, you're going to church. And he's like, well, I mean, not for the reason that you want me to go, but yeah, whatever. She shows up at the church and, and she's got all these North African kind of rhythms of, of religious systems for us. And the, the pastor of the church goes, those, don't think, those things don't really work here. So we're not going to, we, we love tambourines. Tambourines are great. <laughs> don't bring a tambourine to church. We don't do those here. Okay. So um, I, I'm speaking modernly at this point, but this is what happens even in this, in this scenario. And she agrees. She does. She, she like submits to his authority and like and, and he doesn't criticize her and say that's not religious. It's just like it just doesn't play here. And she, she plays along and she like submits to this. And all of a sudden, Ambrose looks at Augustine and be like, you're, you're, you, know, you know that you're blessed to have a mother like this who followed you all this way, who left her life of comfortability. And I know it's like, the, do you see the motherly connection that she loves you no matter what you do? And she's given you so much life advice and you've told her no, or, or and you've even lied to her in the middle of the night and you've left. And yet here still she is. Can you see this maternal type of love and see how lucky you are to have this because not everybody has this. And all of a sudden, it, he writes in the confessions about how um, Ambrose not only changed the plausibility of Christianity for me, he also changed the perspective in which I looked at my mom and the way that I appreciated and what it meant to then honor my mom. Mm-hmm. And I think he was letting his embarrassment get in the way of something that is so incredibly valued and important, the love of his mother, and we were talking with Megan in between services in the back, and, and she's like, you know what gets me every time? Megan doesn't have children of her own, but she has an incredible mom, and she, she's like, 
the stories that have to do with motherly love get me every time and I can't hold it together because I have that. I have a mom that I can hold it together, I can hold it together, I can hold it together, and then I see my mom and she can hold it for me and I can let it go. And she goes, I think that my heart breaks when I hear of people who don't have that, who've never had that. She's like, that crushes me. Nothing will crush me more than when I see somebody that doesn't know that kind of love. And that's the kind that we're referring to when we say motherly love. And Augustine's embarrassment got in the way of him even seeing that. And so Ambrose was able to point that out to him. And then that, that, the shift now happens. And um, Monica is admired now in the Catholic Church as um, the saint that parents go to. Basically, she's the go-to saint when, when kids are fleeing from the church or from um, anything that is good for them. Moms um, will, there, there's prayers across the internet. If you Google St. Monica prayer, um, you'll read prayers like this one that, are, that um, I think we will have on the screen. But the cold of Monica's is, why does the world is found wherever there are weeping mothers praying for their wayward child, the prodigal, those caught up in addiction, um, there are prayers like this. O oh, Saint Monica, who spiritually nourished your children, giving them birth so many times, as you saw them becoming estranged from God, pray for our families, for young people, and for those who can't find the path of sanctity. Obtain for us the fidelity of God, the perseverance and longing for heaven, and the capacity to lead to the Lord those he puts under our care. Amen. And there's a solidarity that spans centuries a sympathy that transcends geography, this bond between Monica and mothers who weep and pray for and chase their children, mothers who are misunderstood, unappreciated, resisted, and resented even. And yet they pray and they chase and they pray and they chase and they pray and they chase day in and day out, steady as the sun. And, um, and it's, not, it's not lost on us that this isn't just moms that can love in this way. I know that we've all seen people who have not had their own children who have loved somebody else in this way. Like, gosh, I see your potential. I see what you are capable of, and you've let go of it, and it seems like all hope is lost, but I'm not losing hope in this, and I am going to pray and chase and pray and chase and pray and chase until my grave. And um, that is what I think Augustine began to see in St. Monica, that motherly love that is so important. Obviously, the easiest example for us to point to as a mother to a child, but that's so far beyond that. Um, and we see this type of love, and we, we, we know it's not locked in just to moms, but it's really, really evident in moms. And, and even in prayer requests that we get um, throughout the week from many of you who write on the back of the Connect card, um, there's like... I can name specifically people who are like, please, please pray for my son. And it's been the same kid, and it's been the same story, and it's been the same thing for years, months at a time. And the persistence and the, 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 the irrational love and grace that goes from a mom into their kids, like that, that, that maternal type of love that isn't locked in just to moms, but that's the way that we best understand it. So that's why we use this language in this way. And we can appreciate that. And, and, and Ambrose is trying to change Augustine's perspective on this and saying, do you see how, like, you special this sort of thing is. We see it also show up in scripture. When Jesus is teaching, he's 
Um, Matthew chapter 23, he's got a kind of a bunch of people together. And um, he uh, is, uh, it's called the, if you had um, your Bible with you, it, on the paragraph kind of header, it says the seven woes. He, he issues seven woes to like the religious leaders, the Pharisees of the day. Seven thoughts or, or challenges, really. I mean, he saved some of his harshest criticisms for, for some of the most religious people of his time, which kind of is an appeal to people who are like, have been burnt by church before and hurt by religious leaders and systems and organizations to be like, Jesus wasn't all that passionate about those things either. Um, and in, in these seven woes, he says he's, he's trying to issue change for them. He's exercising what we would consider more of a paternal type of love, a little bit more tough love, a little bit more like what you'd see commonly from a dad figure. Hey, I love you, but you can't stay that way. You got to do this. What's, what's wrong with you? Shape up, shape up, shape up, that kind of thing. Here's what he says. Here's one of them. Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You shut the door of the kingdom of heaven in people's faces. You yourselves do not enter, nor will you let those enter who are trying to. Later on, he would say, you, you do these things where you like, issue challenges that you're not even willing to take up yourself. You, you wash the outside of the cup, but the inside cup of the cup is dirty, which basically means you're doing everything for the appearance of what other people see, but you don't really care about the cleanliness of the cup on the inside. You're like whitewashed tombs. Like the, all of these massive critiques, trying to change them, really not trying to like condemn them, but to be like, can't you see, can't you see, can't you see? And yet the end of the seven woes, at the end of all of that, we also get this other glimpse, and almost in the same breath, literally, the, verse 37, the same paragraph, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, you who kill the prophets and stone those who sent you. And he's not talking nationalistically about some sort of geographical landset. He's talking about a group of people, Jerusalem as a people. You who kill the prophets and stone those who sent you, how often I have longed to gather your children together as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings, and you were not willing. After all of this stuff, like, I just, I can't give up on you. Like, I love you too much to let you continue to live destructive lifestyles. That's why I'm issuing these seven woes. But I'm not giving up on you. It's this irrational love of God that shows through, most clearly oftentimes, through a mother's love, but that maternal love of no matter what, no matter what, I'll still always love you. I'll still always believe the best about you. Isn't that true about moms kind of in general? Like in terms of like a public opinion, like even the most hardened uh, like people in life have this weird affection towards their mom because their mom is now the only person that believes that there's still something good in them, right? And they're like, oh man, I, I love my mom for that. <laughs> right. And imagine if um, the judicial system was set up in such a way that just like when a mom has small kids and they get in trouble at school or they're, they're brought home from a friend's house or they've gotten into trouble and they're like, okay, mom, you need to, here's what happened, but you need, to, you need to figure it out. You are in charge of the discipline. And if that happened, as our children grow, um, it would be, our prisons would be empty, but society would be a hot mess because um, it, it's important to have both sides of that love. Yes, that orderly, fatherly, lean toward um, guidance and direction sort of love um, without losing that ongoing love's in spite of, a love that denies reality as an excuse in doing so. Um, that's what we love so much. That's what's so moving about the stories about moms is that it is never ending. It is so completely irrational. Um, and it softens the side of that that fatherly, more paternal sort of direction-giving, hard-fisted love. Um, and I think that when we were writing this talk, 
the, the thing that we just wanted everybody to grasp at the end so much. And then I kept, I kept badgering Brenta. I'm like, but how can we make sure, how can we make sure we're saying this in the right way? Um, but that love is, we get to see little glimpses of that through moms and dads or people who just like love so well without being either of those things or without even having either of those things. But um, we are so moved by those stories of irrational loving moms of um, just time after time of no matter how far someone's running from them, they turn around and that person's one step away, right? They're there to pick up the heavy things that we can't carry anymore. And we get to see little glimpses of that of that, and are moved so much, but that is still an imperfect version that we get to see, right? Like I didn't even, well, I told Brent earlier today, but he had me come up and he's like, this is the best mom I know. And I'm like, oh, you didn't just see me 10 minutes ago when our kids literally like, Brent left this morning and our dogs, we have two dogs, one of them pooped upstairs, a kiddo stepped in it, walked all the way downstairs to tell me about it down the hallway while another kid got in the closet where all the Christmas presents are and unwrapped all of them and then made his way out to the garage and grabbed a hammer and maybe hit our car. Um, <laughs> That's the first time hearing about this. <laughs> and... Um, the fatherly and, and love that, of that child will come out very, very soon. I was not an awesome mom. Like, there was a very imperfect representation of motherly love in that moment from me. But there's a perfect version available to all of us. And it's heartbreaking knowing that maybe some of us don't have that here um, represented in a human. But it's available to us. And, um, and I just love, again, wrapping around to Christmas time. A time that we celebrate the central mystery of faith, the God of the universe humbling himself, taking on our brokenness and becoming human, and not just a human, but a tiny baby, this thrill of hope born to a mother who was equipped with the type of love that it was going to take to get that baby through to changing the world, the one that would stick with it through the awkward dynamics, the pain of differentiation, and that would hold on fast to the hope that was promised through this son to love him without ceasing through awkward moments like when he's calling other people his mother and his brothers. Um, And that love was in her because it was in her nature because we're created in the nature of somebody who has that in his nature. And it's a type of love that is available to all of us without anything. There's nothing that we've done. It's already there. And it's a type of love that we are also capable of trying hard to give to others. Um, And when we see it moms, we say, well, yeah, but that's just in her nature. That's just her being a mom. And uh, while that's true, it's always imperfect because we're all imperfect people. And there is an offering of a perfect form of that love. And at Christmas time, what better time than to understand the way that he came, the way that the whole thing worked, the way that the the, um, gospel writers made an intention to write him coming as a child in the midst of trying circumstances, including a genealogy that included uh, prostitutes and criminals and and all of this um, coming not on a, in some sort of a, a, uh, like a big parade thing, but as a, as a weak child, um, uh, born out of wedlock, all of the things that don't make any, any, any sense um, show that he loved the world so much he gave his only 
son. So at Christmas time, may that kind of ring true for us as you read about Mary this week, or as somebody reads uh, at Christmas Eve about the, the, the love of Mary, or as you sit around the, the dinner table with your mom, if she's still around, and, and you know that she's got this amazing type of love for you, may it, may it kind of remind you this Christmas that that is being offered in a, in, a, in a tangible level here and now, but then there's also, at least according to Scripture, if we believe Jesus is what he says about God, um, then that is being offered on a perfect level to each and every single one of us. So let's pray. Father, our prayer is that that would ring true this Christmas season for us, that the maternal love that you have for us, that irrational grace, no matter what we've done, you love us anyways. You choose to believe the best about us, even when all the evidence points in the other direction. Um, You're the the prodigal, uh, you're the one who welcomes the prodigal home. And uh, and, uh, we thank you for that. And may that... uh, May that inspire our, uh, not, not to do anything more to earn that, because it's not like we as kids did anything to earn it from our mom. We just say that's just moms being mom. May we recognize that that's just you being you and us as well. So give us the wisdom to know what that looks like in our life, the courage to act on it in your name. Amen. Amen. All right. Inside of your program, a couple of things uh, to draw your attention to. One is a connect card. It looks just like this. And on the back side of the spot to be able to mark down some next steps. Prayer requests, as I mentioned earlier, if you've got something you're going through, we'd love to partner with you in prayer. Or somebody you're praying uh, for or about, then, then let us know there. On the front side of the spot for some personal information, if you're a regular tender, you know the drill. You just put your name at the top. If you're a guest with us, Make sure to mark that box on the lower left-hand side. This is first or second time guests. We have a thing where we donate money to a different organization, doing good things locally and globally. And for the month of December, we're donating money to Union Gospel Mission uh, over in Pasco, providing uh, homeless shelter, training, facilities, resources, all that kind of stuff for people who need a little, uh, need a little hand up for a little bit. So uh, let us know you're here soon. How much to donate? There's a giving envelope. If he likes home for you, this is your chance to help us out financially to continue to create environments like this for people who don't typically like church. All of these things can go in the blue bins at the top of the ramp as you're leaving. We'll make sure they get to the right spot. Uh, the only other announcements that I have, Tuesday night, Christmas Eve, 3 and 5 o'clock, both identical services. Families are invited uh, to sit all together in here. There's no kids' stuff being offered, but we will have things for the kids in here. We'll do some Christmas carols. It'll be all real feel-good Christmas. It'll set you on the, the right tone for uh, the holiday season. Uh, and then no service next Sunday. We call it Family Day, uh, Volunteer Appreciation Sunday, whatever you want to call it. Uh, unless you like want to see what this theater looks like empty, uh, don't show up next Sunday at... Uh, for either service, and then we'll be back in January starting a brand new series called Better on January 5th, 4th, whatever that Sunday is. So, all right, would you stand? I'm going to read a closing benediction for you, and then get you on your way. Thank you, Lord, that your promises are not for some distant future, but are to be claimed right now today. Teach us what we must do and say in our local communities and in our larger world to participate in your promise. Amen.